The Big Ten, of course, is, is in the midst of realignment. So you being one of those teams that's on the Eastern Seaboard, now having the opportunity in years to come to travel to LA to play, whether it be UCLA or SC, you know, what do you make of that opportunity? Who wouldn't be excited about going to LA in November than going maybe to, to Champaign, Illinois, or Bloomington, Indiana in November? Hello and welcome to the Friday edition of Always College Football. Today is July 15th, and we appreciate you joining us from wherever it is you're joining us, whether that's on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Mark Kubiak. We have a great game plan in store, as we are deep in the mix when it comes to the talking season. We've already put a bow on the Big 12 Media Days. We'll revisit some of those rosters in the weeks to come, just a couple days away from the SEC getting underway in Atlanta. And of course, next week, the ACC media days will be upon us as well. So we're deep in the middle of it, and we look forward to breaking down some of these rosters in the days and weeks to come. But today, we're going to dive into the Big Ten East. We'll be joined by Maryland head coach Mike Loxley, who is really on the heels of what was a terrific bowl performance. We'll talk about what his team might be this year, and we'll break down some of the biggest question marks around the teams in the Big Ten East. But first, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. The Big Ten East has long been considered, if not the best division in college football, certainly at worst, number two. The depth and the quality of the teams, you name it. Historical relevance, you name it. Great players, you name it. Most of these teams certainly have it. So in order to close the gap, if there is a gap that exists between them and the SEC West, there's a few questions that need to be answered. So we decided to come up with this. We decided to go rapid fire. So let's hit some of these great teams from the Big Ten East. All right, Greg, we're going to start with the defending champ, Michigan. Lost our offensive coordinator and lost a ton of talent to the NFL. What do you expect out of the Wolverines this year? Well, I expect them to be extremely good offensively. I know Josh Gaddis. He was a terrific coach, won the Burles Award as the nation's top assistant, and losing him in a lateral move to Miami was a bit of a gut punch, I think, for the faithful of the Wolverines. But when you look at what comes back, especially on that side of the ball, you got to be excited. doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It might be J.J. McCarthy. might be Cade McNamara. Again, either one, I think you can certainly win the Big Ten East with. McCarthy's legs make him very interesting, but McNamara's steady hand and experience also gives him a ton of ability to take a leap forward this upcoming year. They'll have a great backfield tandem to go with, led by Blake Corum, who I think is terrific. He didn't even play well down the stretch because he was all banged up on the ankle. But when you actually look at his productivity in the first few weeks of the season, he's got a chance to be an all-Big Ten running back without question. And then couple that with experience and talent on the outside, on the perimeter at wide receiver, including welcoming back Ronnie Bell, who's got legitimate all-American candidacy written all over him if he can come back fully from that knee injury he suffered in the opener last year. The offense will be great. We know the defense, some key pieces to replace. Aiden Hutchinson's gone. David Ajabo's gone. Daxton Hill, who I think was the unsung hero of the defense last year. All three of those guys will be difficult to replace, and you have to break in a new coordinator. Jesse Minter comes in. I think he'll be great. Mike McDonald's out, but... Minter is basically taking all the things they did well last year and adding them with a few things, a few new wrinkles 
to what he's done traditionally. So I expect this team to be excellent as long as they can fill some of those voids on the defensive side. All right. Penn State is 11 and 11 in the last two years. Did Nittany Lion fans have anything to worry about? I'm not concerned yet because I look at last year and if you look at how they played in the first five and a half games, they were a completely different team than they were down the stretch. I think part of that has to do with Sean Clifford not being anywhere near 100%. He got hurt in that Iowa game. And if you look at the offense, it just sputtered down the stretch. They also really had no threat of a run game whatsoever. They lose their defensive coordinator, Brent Pry, who's long been a huge fixture on that side of the ball. He's now the head coach at Virginia Tech. But in steps Manny Diaz, who's extremely experienced, has long put together outstanding defenses at many different stops along the way. It didn't work out in Miami for Manny, but he landed in a great spot with some decent personnel on that side of the ball. I think it comes down to whether or not they can keep their quarterback healthy, Sean Clifford. He's got to be at 100% if this team's going to contend in the Big Ten East. And they have to find some balance offensively because if there's one thing that's held Penn State back these last couple of years, it's been efficiency and effectiveness along both lines of scrimmage. If they can find some consistency offensively with that offensive line and they can create a capable run game, take some of the pressure off the pass game, passing game, they can certainly make some things happen this upcoming season. All right. Can Mel Tucker keep the momentum going after an 11-win season last year? What a special year last year was for Michigan State. We had them two years before, and the team was lethargic. They didn't have any pop. They didn't have a lot of explosiveness. Well, you fast forward to last year, and it was borderline unrecognizable with what Kenneth Walker brought, with the way the passing game opened up, with some of the talent that they had on the outside. Now, they have a lot of pieces to replace, but if there's one thing we've learned is that Mel Tucker, he can do it in the transfer portal. They've added a couple nice pieces on that side through the transfer portal that should step into immediate playing time and should increase the depth on both sides of the ball. I'm cautiously optimistic about Michigan State. 11 wins to me seems a little bit far-fetched. They're not going to be sneaking up on anybody this year. Everybody knows that Mel Tucker's the real deal, that Michigan State Spartans are here to play, trying to revive a program that felt very mediocre for far too long. So I think they'll be solid, but to expect them to be as good as they were a year ago is something that's really difficult for me to project. Is a new defensive coordinator the key for the Buckeyes to win the national championship? This defense, for the most part, the last couple of years, has left me scratching my head. I'm, I'm sure a lot of us, probably you as well. If you watched Ohio State, you look at the personnel, it's like, man, they got dudes at all three levels defensively. But for whatever reason, the sum was not equal to the addition of each individual part. I just couldn't quite figure it out. Part of it was scheme-based, without question, especially in 2020. They never got out of regular personnel. They had three linebackers on the field at all times built to stop the run, so they'd get exploited by teams that could throw the ball and push the ball downfield. That's why Indiana beat them up. That's why Alabama beat them up in the national championship game. Last year, you see the sack production. You see the interception production. Both were tops in the Big Ten or near the top in the Big Ten. Then you look at the points per game allowed. And they're ninth in the Big Ten. That should never happen. Not with that personnel. Jim Knowles comes up from Oklahoma State. He did an amazing job for the Pokes last year. If it wasn't Josh Gaddis, who we just talked about a second ago, if he didn't win the Broyles Award, I think Jim Knowles certainly had the inside track. I think he finished second, might have finished third. But either way, he had a real case that could have been made. So he's going to add 
I think a few new pieces, he's going to add a few new wrinkles, some pressures. He's going to be more aggressive and be more willing to substitute, not quite as stubborn, and probably be a little bit more willing to change up the looks. Ohio State got a little bit predictable during the previous regime. So I think changing up the looks will only increase the amount of effectiveness that group will have at all three levels and hopefully will lead to better productivity against the run, against the pass, and when it comes to the most important stat, points per game allowed. All right, rounding out the division, Indiana, Rutgers, and Maryland. Pick one of them to make a big splash and win a, uh, an upset game in the division this year. Well, I, I always try to look at history when trying to pick an upset. Uh, I, I like what Rutgers has done. Indiana, I think they were the beneficiary in 2020 to having a great culture, a great locker room, a year that challenged that more than anything else. That team was really close. They won some close games and as a result got a little bit of a roll. I think they still are a team that might struggle to get to bowl eligibility. But when it comes to Maryland, they took some strides last year. Talia Tungavaloa looked really capable at times. Didn't have a couple games where he made some mistakes, was a little bit loose with the football, but they left some points on the field on a few different occasions. So I always look to history. When I think about Maryland, I remember back just a few years ago when Dwayne Haskins and the Ohio State Buckeyes went to College Park second to last week of the season, possibly looking ahead. This year, they'll be looking ahead. Hey, they want to beat Michigan. They want to get back to dominating Michigan. So a lot of the conversation is going to center around Michigan, especially there in November. Well, guess what? A road trip to College Park on November 19th is no easy feat. Just look back a couple years ago. I think Anthony McFarland, the running back for Maryland, had 160 yards on his first two carries for two touchdowns. So they better be careful in the team with, I think, the most talent and the most athleticism amongst the three that you just listed. That'd be Maryland. They're going to be a dangerous team this year. It's just whether or not they can avoid the critical mistake, which they had a tough time at times doing just last year. So a perfect transition there. We didn't set that up by any stretch of the imagination. Let's transition now to the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins. He's Mike Loxley. He's the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins. He's Mike Loxley. I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. I think he's one of the great offensive minds. I don't like how much he runs the quarterback. That would not have suited me well. Uh, but he does an amazing job of crafting an offense that really brings out the best in the signal call, and that's why I love him so much. Coach, thanks so much for being with us, man. Well, thanks for having me, Greg, and, and what a great introduction. But I would not have run you a lot. <laughs> We may have uh, gotten into RPOs a little earlier had had I been there with you. Well, I Second. think that's I think that's fair because you're you're in the business of winning games, and I think running me would not have uh, probably <laughs> wouldn't have won so many games. <laughs> so, look, coach, you're you're coming off your first bowl win since 2010, the first winning season since 2014. It feels like there's tremendous momentum around this program. Uh, have you noticed that at all going through this offseason? Yeah, you, you definitely see it. You know, when, when we always talk about taking the next step, which going into last season for us, that, that was defined for us of becoming a bowl-eligible team, which gives you a chance to have a winning record. And I think having that experience has really kind of uh, lit a fire or, or, or expedited how our team understands that the importance of putting in all that work on the front end to reap the benefits of the things we got to experience up in New York at the Pinstripe Bowl. You talk about that 
And, and I think there's so much gratification and people often say, you know, bowl games are worthless and they don't mean anything that couldn't be further from the truth. And I, I felt like y'all's team last year, coach, you might've exemplified that more than anyone, because think about just how positive everything is around Maryland football right now, as a result of a game that quote, according to some doesn't matter. I mean, it's just tell us your bowl experience and why that was such a goal for you and your team. Well, I think the, the big thing with bowl experience starts with the work that goes on before. Um, there's a reason that a lot of the teams that make bowls the year prior tend to have a better opportunity of going the next year as well because of those extra. I think we got 15 extra practices. And when you have a young team or you're a team like us that's in the developmental stage, uh, you can't can't put a value on what those opportunities to go out and do football and the players are, are excited about it because they're getting a chance to extend their uh, season. But as coaches, you're excited because you're getting a chance to develop the younger players in your program. And we were able to do that. We played a bunch of young guys that we saved that extra, that fourth game uh, with the opportunity to say, if we play in a bowl, you'll have that opportunity. And it's really, really motivated our team as we headed into our off season. Well, it was fun to watch that day, man. I mean, you saw the athleticism, you saw the speed, all the things that you've talked about since you've taken over up there in Maryland. It was on display there in New York, that's for sure. Talia Tungavailoa, your quarterback, had a great year last year. And there were some great moments. There were some disappointing moments. But we all have to remember he's a young player. What's been the biggest focus of his development going into year number two as your established starter? You know, I think the biggest thing for, for me and how – when I've talked to Talia about his next step in his development, it's just the continued maturity behind center. Um, he's a guy that wears his emotions on his sleeves, and when things are going great, he's super amped, and when things aren't bad, he can be uh, really down on himself, and he's his worst, own worst critic. And so what we've got to do is kind of get him to level out to where the highs aren't so high and the lows aren't so low and, and, and see that as being his next step because, as I've said, and I'll continue to pound the drum, um, you know, he's one of the better quarterbacks in our league, uh, if not in the country, if for whatever reason. And I just feel like people, they judge him from one quarter. Uh, he right. threw four interceptions in the one second quarter of the Iowa game. And if you were to take that out of his season, which, you know, obviously we can't, uh, there's no way we win seven games, go to a bowl game, uh, and nobody had more of a greater impact uh, than, than the quarterback here uh, in Talia. You look at Iowa, uh, he wasn't the only one. Uh, year, whether it be whether it be interceptions or blocked kicks or whatnot, they they found ways to manufacture points. So there's nothing I think to be ashamed of of having a bad quarter of football. It's all part of the growing process. How you respond. Um, yep. Last year with Coach Enos and and him kind of calling the shots and and doing some things and, and and you bringing him in, having such familiarity with him. What what has he provided the offense? that you couldn't personally provide yourself? You know, I think the biggest thing is when you make a decision as a head coach, especially when you're on one side of the ball, whether you're how involved you're going to be. And again, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about because of the experience I had at, at Alabama and seeing how coach was involved with the defense, but didn't call it. That's kind of the approach I've taken. Um, the best part about Dan is that he's just his rhythm as a play caller. Every play caller has his own kind of, niche in terms of how he does it you know we're involved as a staff I sit in we we, we 
do game planning together, but he calls every single play. And then, you know, he's a guy that's called plays for a long time, uh, did a tremendous job at Arkansas. Uh, I can remember going up against him when we were at Alabama, um, did a tremendous job, you know, at Michigan State, Cincinnati, a bunch of places. And so I think the biggest thing he brings is because he was a guy that was in that room, and then you know what I mean, being a former quarterback himself at Michigan State, a starter there. Uh, the way he's able to talk to the quarterback, and now that he has a tremendous knowledge of the system that we run, um, it, it's it, it kind of cuts out any gray. He took a lot of the gray out of things for our quarterback. Yeah, and, and I, I think he does a great job with fundamentals too. And, and Talia, a lot like Tua, he's kind of an instinctive player, but I feel like living rhythmically – the way Dan kind of wants to teach it, it would be beneficial for his progress. Is that is that a reasonable assumption to make? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, tying his feet into the ball coming out to the progressions, uh, two hands on a right. ball, all these basic fundamentals that that you know what we're, what I'm talking about. Um, and that is what I mean. One of the, and again, maybe you know, like I said, Talia is underrated. You know, I think Dan Dan Enos as a quarterback coach and a guy that. Uh, has the ability to really get the most out of that position year in and year out. And the fundamental piece of it is something that you can't deny when you watch the quarterbacks that have played under them. When we fast forward to the end of the year, not, not that stats really tell the story, but they do to a certain extent. Uh, what would you like that stat sheet to say, to say in regards to your rushing production versus your passing production? You know what? For me, I I grew up in the Ralph Friesen uh, era of offense, and he's the mentor for me from an offensive standpoint. Um, being balanced is being able to do both really well. And for the last couple of years, we have not been able to necessarily run the ball efficiently more than it is how many times. And, you know, then the games we've had great success in, if you look at the wins we've had over the last few years, we've had that ability to run the ball. And I can tell you it's kind of a, a – we're very fortunate that because of what we went through in the spring where we didn't have a bunch of our receivers available, it really gave us a chance to work on that run game. And with the five returning starters for the most part up front, um, the, the O-line is probably one of the most improved positions on our pro, in our program. And it's because a lot of these guys like Spencer Anderson and Jalen Duncan, they're three-year, four-year yeah. starters. So just the growing pains of coming in and when you're not experienced up front is where you typically struggle. And so for me, the, the stat sheet needs to show that we were efficient when we had to run the football. And, and you know, that's what balance is, being able to do both efficiently based on what the defense gives us. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, I think that in a perfect world, right, everyone's 50 50. But you know, I mean, at the same time, you don't yeah, they, you don't want to take the ball out yeah. of a hot hand when Talia starts dealing it. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, or, or or until they put nine guys in a box and and, and now you fifty fifty becomes. Yeah, well, if they put nine in the box, coach, bring it on. Let's go. Uh, all right, because yeah. you got some dudes on the outside. Let's 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 rip it. That's for sure. Um, defensively, uh, Coach Williams being there for another year now uh, after being promoted, um, he of course comes with the defensive line background. And I remember watching you guys. I believe it was early in the year. I can't remember. I think it was West Virginia. Whoever it might have been. And I was watching, I was like, man, these guys were flying around. I mean, flying around. He had some length up front, had some guys that played hard in the front seven defensively, had some dudes in the back end that could really cover. I feel like that's an underrated part of your team heading into this year, knowing some of the pieces that are returning. How would you evaluate the continuity that you've created defensively and the progress that you guys expect to make? Yeah, again, that was really important. You know, we've had 
basically it's B-Dub will be our third coordinator uh, since I've been here. You know, John Hope for a couple of years, and we had Brian Stewart a year ago, and now uh, B-Dub. But with Brian Williams, um, his knowledge of how I want us to play defense, uh, he's a guy that's worked with both linebackers and, and the D-line and pass rushers. Uh, he grew up in the Jeremy Pruitt fa- uh, defensive family tree. Uh, he was with Pruitt at Florida State when they won a national championship as a young coach, went with them to Georgia. And so he kind of gets it, uh, how we want to do things and the way that the, it should be played on defense. I agree with you. I do think going into this season, they're going to be the the catalyst to, to kind of how far we go is with what we do on defense because – I feel like, you know, last year we started out pretty well and then those injuries kicked in. We lost three of our secondary players. Uh, we lost our pass rusher and Chami up front, uh, starting linebacker. Uh, Fanaje Gote went out. So uh, with getting all these guys back, for, for us to take that big, the, the big step I expect us to take this year is going to be predicated on just how, how much we're improved on that defensive side of the ball. And I like – kind of how we look now that we've gotten everybody back in there. Are you tilting practice towards the offense, Coach? Are you letting the offense, uh, you know, go downhill against the defense being an offensive guy? No, no, no. I, uh, I, I've been stabilized. <laughs> and, you know, I, still, I, still, I still make us do nine on seven with two tight ends, and we put our full back in the game, and we, we, we bang a little bit there, and then we, we, we spread it out a little bit. So, no, it, the practice plan, I, t- I call it grandma's chocolate chip cookie <laughs> recipe, Greg. If if it calls for four cups of brown sugar, why would you put three in it? So <laughs> I'm trying to follow the script of uh, the way we practiced and, and when we were able to do some great things under Coach Saban, and uh, we've taken some of those things. But obviously I think the difference is as a coach is you've got to put your personality on it and you've got to know your personnel. And, you know, as we continue to develop our roster and grow depth, uh, which is to me, this is the deepest we've been. This is the most returning starters, the most efficiency in all three phases we've had since I've been here. You know, I'm excited to see what, what this year offers us. Coach, uh, before we get to some bigger picture topics about the Big Ten and the Big Ten East specifically, I do want to ask you, you're such a great recruiter. You've always been able to create great relationships with the players that you coach guys play hard for you guys love you. They trust you. All that stuff I think is a wonderful, wonderful quality, especially when dealing with a modern day player. So what's been the, what's been the pitch on the recruiting trail for Maryland that you've used the last couple of years with some good success? Well, I think the biggest thing is that the, the reason people go to schools is opportunities to play early and in location. And so for us, we got a built in great location here in this DMV region where we've got home of three of the top, high school football programs in the country. And when you see St. Francis and uh, the Gonzagas, the Damathas, the good councils uh, of the world, that, that St. John's, uh, who's, who's won the WCAC here in this area. Uh, so for us, it starts with trying to find a way to control this local uh, two-hour radius and then use the brand of what we do offensively, defensively, and our coaching staff to supplement it. And, and, and you know, there's no doubt that, we're selling opportunities to play early. Uh, we're selling the location of the DMV where, you know, we're one of the few places where you can build your resume as a student and as a player because, you know, some you can't do some of the stuff you can do here in college towns like Tuscaloosa, Gainesville, uh, Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. These There's a lot of things that being in the DMV area affords you. And then uh, for us, uh, selling the Big Ten, man, the best of both worlds, strong academics, strong sports, a uh, chance to compete for championships and national championships. 
Yeah, there's there's no denying that Big Ten is as good as it gets. The Big Ten East in particular uh, is ridiculous. I don't know what other word to use, Coach. I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, you've been at Maryland before. You were there in 14 as the OC. Uh, they've now been in the Big Ten for nine years. And it feels like a team that you – know, a, a school that essentially founded the ACC or was among the founding members has transitioned beautifully. But it feels like the Big Ten that you're in today – is very different than the Big Ten that you were in eight years ago. So how would you describe that change? You know, it's it's the ability, the offenses um, finally opening up. Um, you know, you, it's funny because people, because of the brand of what the Big Ten uh, was known for when we were growing up, um, and I'm still a little older than you, is, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. And uh, But now when you look across this conference, there's a there wide-open offenses, for year in and year out, our defenses in this league, east or west, have been, you know, four or five of our teams are always in the top ten in total defense. So it tells you that it's a, a great league. But I think the offenses have finally started to uh, create a, a little brand for themselves in the Big Ten with some of the guys that have been able to play and have great success and then go on and be drafted. I mean, we had two first-round draft picks in back-to-back years. And, you know, here at Maryland in twenty. 16 and 2017 with DJ Moore and Darnell Savage both being drafted. So uh, shows you the, 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 what, what the Big Ten's all about. It's definitely changed a lot, and you've, you've seen it uh, without question. You've been all over the place, Coach. You've been out west. You've been in the SEC. You're now back uh, at Maryland in the Big Ten. The Big Ten, of course, is, is in the midst of realignment. You, know, you being one of those teams that's on the Eastern Seaboard, now having the opportunity in years to come to travel to LA to play, whether it be UCLA or SC, you know, what do you make of that opportunity, and and how are, I guess, how have your how have your players responded to the new additions? Yeah, you know, it's it's created a little bit of a buzz. Obviously, the iconic programs like UCLA and USC for what they've done uh, in college sports over the years, and. You know, we have a few of what we call those blue blood programs already and to add two programs that have storied backgrounds like USC and UCLA can only do one thing and that's strengthen uh, the Big Ten as one of the, if not the leader uh, in terms of conference uh, affiliation. So I think it's been a positive thing for us. I think uh, our players are excited. I mean, who wouldn't be excited about uh, going to LA in November and then going maybe to to uh, Champaign, Illinois, or Bloomington, Indiana in November with the weather. Uh, and how about them coming to you in November? Yeah. That, that might, be, yeah. might be advantage Terps, no, Coach? Yeah, you know, good thing for us, we're, we're a mid-Atlantic state, so we, we kind of always stay pretty mild in temperature, Greg. That's another recruiting pitch. That, that, well, there you go. I, I've called games there in mid-November. I actually called the Ohio State game a couple years ago that was close, yeah. came down to the wire. It was very comfortable. Right. So I, I don't know what they're saying about Big Ten and frigid temperatures. It's exactly. no problem up there. No doubt. <laughs> it's beautiful, too, I might add. Um, Coach, uh, you also have launched and been a big part of the National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches, and I've been really proud of the traction it started to generate feels like there's more opportunities. There's more awareness. Uh, what's been the mission for you as you've launched that the last couple of years? For me, personally, the mission was to pay it forward. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really blessed and, and honored to be able to be the head coach of a school that I grew up a, a fan of, the University of Maryland. And again, being a former head coach that had been fired as a minority uh, head coach there at New Mexico, to, to be able to send back to this, uh, to this job that I have now, I just owe a lot of 
gratitude to people that have helped me get back here. And so for me, the coalition uh, formation uh, was a way for me to try to pay forward the opportunities that I've been given. And the, the mission is simple, is to prepare, promote, and produce uh, the next wave of, of minority coaches by, you know, giving them the tools necessary to do it, as well as helping with the skill set, the networking and the development, and then using the power like you talked about, we're, we're becoming a, 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 a ally and helping uh, fulfill minority opportunities or at least facilitate minority opportunities in, in football. And, and there's no doubt that we've uh, kind of maybe got a few better, a, a, a better head start in the college game than maybe the NFL. But right now, uh, they're both uh, they both need work and, and the coalition is here to be an ally to help facilitate and come up with solutions. Well, it's amazing the, the work that's been done and, and the opportunities that will be presented. And it feels like I saw an article just the other day on ESPN.com, 45 amazing candidates for head coaching jobs in the years to come. So I think that that your work is is amazing, coach. And I think that it's starting to generate the traction and conversations that's necessary to make a change. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and it takes all of us to do it. And we've had, we got a great board of uh, directors that really help and assist with the mission of it. And, you know, all of our board members uh, really appreciate the efforts that they've put into it. Now, wonderful stuff, Coach. We look forward to continuing to follow your progress in that regard. And, and we appreciate your contributions. Uh, we so appreciate you being with us. So I got to get you out of here. We got to make some buzz. All right. You want to make some buzz with me? Let's make some buzz. Let's All go. Right. You were the offensive coordinator of the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2018, one of the best offenses uh, Alabama's ever had. Uh, Tua Tungabaloa was the starter. Jalen Hurts was the backup. Mac Jones was the third-string quarterback. Which was the best quarterback, Coach? Man. <laughs> Sheesh. I told you it was going to be a little buzz, man. we got to make it a little tough on you. i tell you what, I, I really like uh, Tua J-Mac. Tua J. Mack, <laughs> I thought he was the best of all of those three guys, man. Yeah. I don't know. You didn't mention his name, but he was sitting in that room. Tua oh, yeah. J. Mack. I think it was you, Coach. I think you could have put any one of them under center. You would have scored a lot of points that year. No doubt about it, man. I remember that year we, we actually played quite a bit because Mack got a few highlights on that 2018 uh, cut-up reel as well. Yeah, he did. <laughs> when when the opportunity was in itself, Mack went in there and threw some dimes, man. We uh, – yeah. Those were good. Those were good years, man. We so appreciate the time, brother. We so appreciate you. We're so proud of what you're doing up there at College Park. We look forward to coming up and visiting you, man, and uh, and calling some of your games this fall. Appreciate you, Greg. Man, doing a great job with this. Thanks, Locks. Appreciate you, man. All right. What a great visit with Coach Loxley. He's doing special things up there in College Park. A lot of people have felt like naturally they're the Oregon of the East, right? Athleticism, potential, ceiling. Impossible division, but either way, Maryland, you got to think here in the next year, two years, three years, seems like with how they're recruiting and how it's becoming a destination, the resources that they've put into the program, you got to think that Maryland's going to be more consistent here in the years to come. And hopefully for Terps fans, it'll start here in 2022. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. We appreciate you being with us. Of course, hit us up. On our email, give us a couple questions. We're going to start getting into our mailbag here pretty soon. It's alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Always hit us up on Twitter, at alwayscfb. You can hit me up, at Greg McElroy. We appreciate the interaction that we get with you. Like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. And we look forward to the interaction that we'll have here in the weeks and months to come. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. 
Remember, it's always college football.